Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we are talking with Leah Power from the Institute of Communication Agencies. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's good, Ron. It's cool in Texas, and it's mid-April, so I will take every cool day I can continue to get. That's true. That's true. It's nice here, too. So... I'm excited about today's guest. I know we both read her, uh, the report that she edited, uh, and let me read in her bio so we can get her in here. Uh, a proven results-oriented finance and operations executive, Leah Power, has 20 years of experience supporting agency leaders develop and achieve strategic plans that lead to consistent growth and award-winning client work. She's advised C-level exec- execs at the operational, regional, and global levels on issues of financial leadership, agency acquisitions, operating system implementation, a whole bunch of other things. Her agency experience includes time most recently at Gray Canada as Chief Operating Officer, plus financial leadership roles at Gray SF, DDB Canada, Downtown Partners, Echo Advertising, and Rap Collins Worldwide. Leah Power, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, you know, I got to meet you when you brought me up to do a talk to the ICA, and that's where I met Blair Enns for the very mm-hmm. first time in my life. And we corresponded a lot, but I'd never got to meet him. So you're, I credit you for that meeting. And also, um, how do you pronounce his name? David Michael? David Meikle. 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 Yeah. We've had him on the show, and I met him as a result of being up mm-hmm. there. And that was fascinating because, as you know, he spent time in – in Russia, yes, working over there. Was it Ogilvy? Wasn't it Ogilvy? It was Ogilvy, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and it, boy, he told me just so many stories about what it was like to work in Russia. It was just great. So mm-hmm. it was great to meet everybody up there. Um, but Leah, how have you been doing this year? I mean, it's been a crazy year. It has been a crazy year, and so I'm in Canada, and. Um, we started off really great and we're not ending so fabulous right now. Um, so that's pretty much on everybody's mind. Um, as the, you know, working at the trade association, we've really been focused this past year on our mission statement, really, to be honest, which is amplify, uh, protect and transform the agency sector. And we've really just been there to guide our agencies, to be there for them, to listen to them, what their challenges are, to create platforms so that they can connect with each other. Um, we really have kind of taken to heart that mantra that we're in this together, and it's been no more evident than in agencies banding together and, and trying to get through this um, and for their clients. And, and, and I think for us, um, what's been really great to see is that connection with clients, that we've mm-hmm. been able to respond to them in a really agile and strategic way throughout the year. 
um, and have made some real differences for, for clients. And that's all that you can kind of hope for on the agency side. Sure. How have agencies been doing up in Canada? I mean, we hear from Tim Williams, kind of the lay of the land when we talk to him. Uh, but how, how are they in your in your field of vision? How have agencies been doing this past year? Yeah, agencies have been doing really well. Um, you know, they have really risen to the occasion. I think one thing that's been really great, you know, we are going to be talking about procurement today. One thing that we've seen is that procurement really was able to get out of the way. Um, sometimes procurement can put some roadblocks and some red tape in place that can make it really, really difficult to service ultimately that end consumer of the clients. And um, we saw agencies being really able to connect directly with clients, move that needle, and really respond with appropriate communications in a meaningful way. Um, and it hasn't just been COVID, it's been the anti-racism efforts that have, you know, um, shown up over the past year that have created challenges. But I would say um, even more than challenges have created opportunities for agencies and clients, and which has been really great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, it seems like a lot of the professions are doing okay. I mean, it really, I think this whole thing has kind of brought us closer to the the customers and probably deepen the relationship a little bit. We certainly see that in accounting where all of the, you know, the loans and everything kind of ran through the accounting. So the accountants were in great demand for the past year. So you published the QBS agency search guide back in what, 2019. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. It was something like yeah. that. That feels a really long time long ago. Time right ago. Now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Um, and it, it was authored by Cal Harrison and you edited it. But yeah. why is it time to change the agency selection process, which is what this report is about? Yeah, it's it's because it's not working in its current format. It is um, you know, driven by commodity based RFPs. And we're not a commoditized profession. We are a strategic and creative profession. We offer creative professional services. And we needed a methodology to, um, to showcase that. And so what has been happening for, I would say, the past 10, 15, 20 years, um, mostly in the last 10 years, I think, directly, is that procurement has really been trying to use a commodity-based search tool to source agency services. And what it has done has fundamentally not been great for clients in the end. And so we feel that that is the beginning of the relationship, right? And so we want to keep that relationship between an agency and a client a partnership. We want to keep it strategic. And what procurement has been doing by using commodity-based uh, sourcing solutions has really been to make that a transactional relationship. And that hasn't been great for marketing. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you, and you do a wonderful job in the report of tearing down the price-based RFP process. And you've probably heard us talk about the author of let's get real or let's not play. His name is Mahan Khalsa. He's got a line in his book that he thinks dysfunctional buying processes resulted from 
dysfunctional selling processes. And I can't think of any more, anything more dysfunctional than the billable hour. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we as, as professionals foisted onto the customer. The customer didn't ask for it. And Tim Williams has a great saying. He says, if you want to avoid procurement, stop selling things that can be procured. What do you right. think about that? And I think that's absolutely true. And I, I, I think I love that you brought in the value-based pricing because that was one of the elements that I really wanted to make sure was in the guide because they are so linked. Um, and again, value-based pricing is not about charging more, but it's about showcasing that you're intently focused on that client reaching their goals and their outcomes. And it's about shifting it from inputs to outcomes. And that's what we're trying to get people on that journey. Um, And procurement, let's be honest, when they look at a number that's uneven, they think it's a formula and they will do everything that they can in their power to rip that formula apart, try and dissect it it and see how they can, um, you know, find some cost savings in there, um, reduce hours on roles that they think are arbitrary. But you made a really great point, Ron, in that there's some amateur selling out there. And that's a part of the problem. We're up against professional buyers. But the, 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 the issue that I think we want to, uh, you know, make known is that Procurement's not operating under any bad intent. No one's saying that they're going after our industry to just, um, you know, downgrade it in any way. There's, there's, I can't say enough, there's no bad intent. But what I realized was that they just didn't know any better. So when you look at how procurement are trained in the art of sourcing, it really is with direct uh, products and services. And so we are not only indirect, but we're even a subset of indirect where we're talking about things that are custom, complex, and costly. And in a lot of respects, what we bring to the table is also critical. You're at the point where you need to fundamentally change things, either from a brand perspective um, or just, you know, build up your your sales. And so, um, you know, we we wanted to put a tool in the hand of procurement to help them understand that there's a difference in the way that you procure something that is direct and the way you procure something that is creative professional service. Right. And you landed on this qualifications based selection process, which was developed decades ago in engineering and architecture. Is that right? Isn't that amazing? It it has it been around for decades. It's it's going to come up on its 50th anniversary in another year or so. And so it's not anything that we came up with ourselves. We didn't invent it. It was already out there. And it was put into legislation um, back in 1972 by a representative named Jack Brooks out of Texas. And it was based on a really simple premise that it wasn't the hurricane or the tornado or the earthquake that was killing people, but it was the poorly constructed buildings. And so what they realized was that price was a determinant in, you know, these architects and engineers uh, getting these public infrastructure um, projects. 
And that was really the problem. There were uh, low-cost bids and that the firm was being chosen based on price rather than based on whether they were able to do the project. So it is essentially, we need to make sure that there's qualifications. And why qualifications? Why interrogate qualifications? Because it shows the, that that firm can replicate success. And that is what the most important thing is. So it is really just a, a selection process that's based on tell me what your qualifications are and what you did previously. How can you do that again? Right. No, that's great. I mean, I, there's a derivative of Murphy's law that uh, like when a pilot gets into the fighter jet and he says to himself, wow, this was made by the lowest bidder. <laughs> Doesn't give anybody any comfort, right? You want the person or the firm that can build it the best, like you say. And it, what I found fascinating about QBS is it doesn't initially evaluate price, but I'm sure Ed's going to take you further into this conversation. So, unfortunately, we're up against our first break. And, folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We'll post full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com with our conversation today with Leah Power from the ICA. And now, a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are with Leah Power, the editor of the QBS Agency Search Guide. And Leah, Ron set me up perfect for what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, and I'm just going to quote a little from the report, and then we'll, we'll talk about each of these. It says, you say, or the in the report, it says, while it appears to be a reasonable and balanced procurement process, the typical price-based RFP has many issues, many of which are not immediately obvious, but real and costly nonetheless. And then 
you talk about some of them and, and, and illustrate some examples. I'd like you to give you a chance to to talk about each of them. But the first one I think is probably the most insightful for me as an outsider to the the uh, agency space. Uh, price often becomes the deciding factor, even when it is weighted only as little as five or ten percent. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? And I think that some procurement folks think that they're really providing us with a really great concession when they say, but we've lowered it. It's not 70% anymore. It's only 30%. Or as we say in the guide, oh, it's just 5%. But just that 5%, because you can imagine, and this has been me where I've gotten the RFP, we flip through that thing right away to look to see if price is evaluated and how much. And so what you've done in that little teeny, I'm gonna do it just 5% is you have taken my innovation from high right down to low. I am now entering the search process thinking, hmm, what price is it that I need to put down in order to make it to the next level or in order to make it through this search process? That's not, where you want me to be thinking. And, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I don't, I, you know, if price is zero weighted, it doesn't, it means it's not evaluated. And of course, that's, that is not part of it. Um, Price is definitely part of the negotiation. It's part of the agency search process. It's just done with who you feel is the most qualified for your project. It leaves it to the end. Um, And let's be honest, sometimes uh, price is used, sorry to say, as a club. And we want, we don't want agencies to be involved in that type of practice where prices are used as, you know, maybe to uh, negotiate with the incumbent, all kinds of different practices that that price price is used for. So um, one thing that uh, Cal says in the guide that I think is really great is, and he's, you know, we all get asked this, well, how do I start with QBS? Take that RFP and just weight price to zero. Just make it a non-entity uh, for the for the first part, first phases of your search. And that that brought up a question in my mind as I was reading through this. As you, you know, one of the things that Ron and I advocate for is giving a customer choices or the client choices. And what what have you seen, if any, the reaction of procurement when you provide in your in your response three choices? rather than one particular price, what, 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 what happens? Uh, that is a really interesting question. And it's something that we are very much a proponent of at the ICA as well. I'm talking about proposals with options and, and providing, providing that choice. Um, I think that really that, that should be fundamentally what the client wants. They should be wanting advice from the agency, right? That's what we're there to provide, strategic and creative advice, not necessarily responding to what you want or what you think you want, but really formulating a plan around what is needed and what is necessary. And you may start with, and this is why options are so great, um, you may start with what the request is, but the role and, and where the partnership and collaboration comes in with an agency when, when you found the right partner is that they are going to show you where there are holes in what it is that you've requested 
and say, that's fine. You can ask for that. You've crafted a scope and I can do that at a certain price. But here's where if your objective is X, that's not going to meet that objective. You're going to need to add this, this, and this, and this is how much that's going to cost. That's what you're looking for. That's yeah. that advice side. Yeah, that's the the axiom of the presenting problem, right? The presenting problem isn't necessarily the real problem that the customer has or even thinks they have. But but is is there a, a positive or negative reaction or a neutral reaction among procurement people when you when when an agency provides choices when they're not asked for? I'm just really curious about that. Yeah, I think well, I, I think the first question is is that there is a thought or or a fear on the agency side that I need to stick to the letter of what's being requested. And I think for some procurement people, there is probably some fear, how will I evaluate this if I don't get all the same types of responses? And I understand that. And and that is definitely coming from that commodity-based direct sourcing mindset. Again, there's no bad intent, um, but it's not really what's best for the marketing team. Uh, and so really, it's such an interesting question the way you're asking it, because we ask uh, within QBS, when we're, when we're consulting with clients and, and helping them to craft that, I'll tell you, there is a lot of work on the upfront. What with, when you're talking about commodity-based or those traditional price-based RFPs, the work is often all at the back end. I'm going to take this template. It's already out there. We already have all the legal language. We used it to buy pencils last week. We're just going <laughs> to change the title and we'll put that out into the ether. Maybe we'll have an open cattle call and have a hundred different agencies respond to it. Um, QBS asks you to do some different things and it's a lot more work on the upfront. But what that does is it solidifies in the mind of the evaluating team, which should be both procurement and marketing. What are those evaluators? What's the mandatory criteria and what's the evaluated criteria? And when you know what the evaluated criteria is and what that good agency for you, that qualified agency for you looks like, when you're reading those options, the light bulb will go on and you will be better able to review, to your point, those different options and those different things where an agency is saying what you're asking for might not get you to where you need to go. The, the second one in the list is it, it got, has got to hit people like a ton of bricks, and that is suppliers are incentive to focus on providing the least valuable instead of the most valuable solution. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, and it is how we feel that we're incentivized to act during the process, uh, bringing you know, to the table, what's the lowest, what's the lowest cost, what's, you know, who are the most, and fundamentally what you're asking us is, what's the most junior team that you can put on this to possibly arrive um, at something that looks like this scope of work um, at the end of the day? And so, yeah, you know, we're going to go back to those words, innovation and investment, and it's not helping agencies stay in that high innovation mindset. And fundamentally, that's where you want us to be. You want us to stay up there in the innovation space. And I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, but I think it's just an appropriate point to, to bring this up. There's a story uh, in, in here that says that the author, I believe, was speaking at a conference and told them when he told them that they needed to disclose a budget for procurement, 
He, he said, but if I disclose my budget, that's all we're going to get is the people in line with the budget. He said, well, that's a huge difference because that way they're all working toward the same thing. Um, and, and that way you'll get to f- find out who's going to be the most innovative within that constraint of the budget. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, those are the most interesting conversations that I've had with clients when we do talk about budget. Um it is one of those things that, you know, kind of comes up in our, when we see pitches that we think are not operating, you know, really well. And it will often be one of the starting points is that there's no budget. And the head spins around. I'm not going to lie. They have a hard time um, as an industry grappling with giving that budget. They think in a lot of respects, it's a proprietary number. Um, and I, I can understand that, um, and I can understand then why you maybe shouldn't be doing a cattle call where there are hundreds or thousands of participants um, and, and giving people that budget. But when we're talking about handing that budget number out to six to eight agencies that are possibly in line to be one of your partners, you should be providing them with a budget. And I think, again, you know, talking about HR and how QBS really relates into that HR methodology and how we recruit people for our firms, we provide them with a number in that posting, in that in that job posting. Um, we'll say this job is $50,000 and it gives the people who are going to apply to that job an understanding of what the expectation is. And someone will say, maybe if they're just recently graduated, ooh, I'm probably not qualified for that job. And it will give someone else an understanding if they've got 10 years of experience, maybe that job I'm a little bit overqualified for. And so people will make a no, uh, a go or no-go decision in, in, in that. And HR people need candidates to make a go or no-go decision. You can't have everybody and their mother applying to a job when they're not even in, you know, anywhere near being appropriately qualified. And it's the same for an agency. And budget is one of those things that helps an agency make that go or no-go decision. Yeah, it's, it's critical. Uh, I'm skipping the third because you dealt with it, which is about the time-consuming process. I'm going to the fourth in this section, which is the mo- most qualified firms are the least likely to respond to a price-based RFP. Yeah, that's what I want. Give me the crappiest people, please. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're lifting up the hood a little bit and letting you into the mindset of an agency. Um, but think about that. And in the same way that, um, you know, back to that HR process, if everything is going to be driven by money and we don't have conversations about qualifications and what the culture is like and what your expectation is, if we just went right to tell me what your lowest amount of salary is, that you wouldn't have any candidates to speak to. You wouldn't be able to get through the interview process. It would be sending up a real red flag. Yep. And the last one, we've only got a bit, about a minute left, is that the RFP projects begin the agency relationships as adversarial, uh, while the others are far more collaborative. And by the way, this is absolutely true in just about every professional space that I've worked in, uh, especially with regard to, say, ERP systems, which is my background. And, you know, why are we starting our relationship off on an adversarial relationship? So talk briefly about that. 
right? It's it's going back to what it is that we're there to provide. And that is creative solutions to your business problems. Those solutions are going to be custom. They're going to be complex. And so don't start that relationship off in a transactional manner. Keep it strategic, keep it innovative, keep it collaborative. Outstanding. Well, we're up against our next break. Want to remind listeners that they can contact Ron and me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Our Patreon site, patreon.com slash TSOE, allows you to get commercial free shows as well as our bonus episodes. That bonus episode is sponsored by 90 Minds. Need a mind? Visit 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Leah Power from the Institute of Communication Agencies. And Lee, I wanted to ask you about, in QBS, there's no spec creative. And this must be an objection you hear all the time from the client side. Well, how can I evaluate them without seeing their creative work? But creative work done, as you say, without client direction really has no value. Exactly. And I think going back to, you know, what we were talking about before, about that relationship, um, that's a key part of coming up with that creative. I mentioned collaborative relationship. So when we think about coming up with those creative solutions, those bespoke creative solutions for your business, that's going to take a lot of collaboration, a lot of discussion, a lot of time going through different agencies, have their different processes for how they tease that out of a client, their objectives, both from a business side and a marketing side. And when you ask for spec creative or strategy, and it is really when we're talking, when I'm talking about spec, I'm talking about anything that an agency would normally get paid for. 
you're asking for that and you are not paying them uh, a going rate and briefing them properly as what you're doing during a search, then that's spec. You're asking that agency to figure those things out in a vacuum with very, very little input or collaboration from the client. And I just, it's not going to get you what it is that that you're looking to get. Um, You know, some reports have said that less than 5% of spec is usable um, in the form that it's presented uh, in this in the search process. And so what a waste, what a waste of resources, not only from the industry perspective, you know, I'm from an industry association. So I'm, of course, going to be very concerned with the amount of, of wasted uh, spend on resources in the industry. But what about the client's resources? Uh, of trying to evaluate that spec. And again, going back to what we were talking about before with uh, QBS asked for a lot of work to be done on the upfront. Um, And yet those commodity-based RFPs really kind of leave everything to when everyone's in a room looking at creative and deciding whether they like it or not. At the end of the day, agencies aren't there to create art. We're there to create you know, solutions to your business problem. And we're going to do that in a creative and entertaining way to uh, capture the heart and mind of a consumer to, to get them to do what you want them to do as a client. So um, it's, it is really about going back to that partnership, that collaboration, and SPEC just doesn't help those objectives. You know, Ed mentioned in your report, you talk about the best agencies might not even get involved in a price-based RFP. Can you imagine a day, because this is my dream world, where agencies would charge for an RFP? It, because if competition's useful, it's valuable to the buyer, why shouldn't they charge for it? That's an interesting thought. I'm not sure how that would pan out, but that is really quite interesting. I think where, you know, when we're talking about the exchange of money within, within a search, it's been something that we've been talking about in the associations around the world that we're connected with. Um, Fundamentally, why we want QBS to be the gold standard globally I and mean, we are moving ahead globally to get this implemented around the world is because it's an efficient process. It's really crafted for procurement and for client um, marketers so that they can run an easy, efficient, simple process that gets them the, you know, what they need, which is a qualified partner uh, to, to do their marketing communications. Um, so, there shouldn't be any need to have any exchange of money. Um, again, I I work with clients as they're going through the QBS process. I'm happy to to handhold as much as is necessary. There's going to be a spectrum, but we do fundamentally believe you should be able to read the guide and implement it yourself. It doesn't need to be more complicated uh, than that. Well, when you talk about how QBS lowers costs and you know, fosters communication and collaboration, and you know, it's a true relationship. I think one of the greatest pieces of empirical evidence to back that up is you guys cited a 2009 American Public Works Association and American Council of Engineering Companies study that said, you know, most projects have about a 10% change order cost of the total project, whereas in QBS, it's 3%. 
I know, Ed, you run around with some statistic that's mind-blowing about <laughs> scope creep and, you know, cost overruns, but this seems to be really good at controlling that. Do you, do you think, Leah, that's because there's better communication and better diagnosis being done up front? Absolutely. I think that it's because the marketing team um, and in, in that study was specifically looking at architecture and engineering, which is the creative side of building a building or building a bridge. And what, you know, again, when we talk about price, it's pushing the firm down into a low innovation mindset. What's the lowest price? Let me just get that. Um, you know, I'll put down a, a, a 110 blended rate and we'll figure it out later uh, how we make money. Um, and uh, uh, really, at the end of the day, um, you you can't, sorry, I just lost my thought. Um, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, you, you can't, you can't work that way. Um, and I think, again, that doing all the process at the beginning, what's my criteria? What's the evaluation? It's going to make a difference with who you pick at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Just, just uh, by the way, one of the things I thought you had a list somewhere of all the different advantages of QBS, you know, it lowers costs, commun- fosters communication, all these different things that it does. And I was thinking because this is, in 47 states here in the U.S., what happened with the Obamacare website? I wonder if that went through some QBS process because that was a disaster from uh, start to finish. But uh, that's an unfair question. That's just commentary on my yeah. part. I don't um, know anything about <laughs> <yeah>. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, so this report now has been out there for a couple years. Obviously, buyers and agencies have to have to buy into it but i would think there's more onus on the buyer side the client side than the agency side since they kind of control this whole rfp and agency search process um have you seen success in getting some clients some advertisers to um adopt this model absolutely um so we we run a, a uh, an initiative through the ICA, and again, this is something that's going global with our with our global industry um, association called Voxcom. We run something called Pitch Watch, and um, that is where someone can kind of blow the whistle on some bad pitch pro- uh, practices mm-hmm. that are out there. And QBS really is kind of the other, the flip side of that. When we talk to people who have had the whistle blown on them, we uh, talk to them about what we think is the problem with their pitch, but we offer a solution, and and that's QBS. That's on the other side. So we've had, just in Canada, um, about almost 100 clients go through PitWatch. And we have used, with every single one of them, the tenants and the principles in QBS, where they've made changes to their pitch. Um, there's been a couple of them where we've had to use some PR to maybe encourage them to make some better choices within their agency search. And there's only a few of those that that's happened with. Um, but the rest of them have definitely made changes to their RFP. And and those are changes, again, based on the tenants of, of QBS. Um, and, and to your point, QBS is not new. It's in 47 states. 
It's been studied uh, by uh, Dr. Shinowski uh, out of uh, University of Colorado and uh, another gentleman who was at uh, Georgia Tech. And they are doing a new study as well. And they're going to be looking beyond um, architecture and engineering into other professional services. And I'm sure they're going to find the same thing. But listen, those stats that you quoted, those are incredible stats. And no procurement person wants to have 10% cost overruns. Uh, It can just completely derail everything that they are working so hard for, um, all of those cost savings can really just fall out the bottom uh, when you're dealing with people going down to that low innovation mindset, just submitting that price that's the lowest, and then figuring it out later. Fundamentally, you want someone who's your partner who's going to be able to make money. We, we need to make a profit in order to survive. Um, and uh, and that, again, is, is, is kind of part and parcel of that, that 10% overrun. Those agencies are going to work their butt off if they've submitted the lowest price and that's what they were chosen on. They're going to try and make that up. Right, right. No, that's a great point. You know, another idea that's been around for a long time, maybe not as long as QBS, but value pricing in the last couple minutes that I have you here, I wanted to ask you, how has that been going with agencies? Do you see more agencies adopting you know, what Tim Williams and Blair ends and what I've been talking about, what we've talked about on this show all the time? I think we see more agencies being interested in it um, and wanting to understand what the tenets of value-based pricing are. So I do a lot of training with agencies to help them understand how, you know, from the strategy of it down to some of the tactics. And I, I do take them through some of those broad strokes. Um, a lot of agencies are interested in it. They are trying to shift uh, that client perspective away from the billable hour. Uh, and, and again, kind of for the same reason, that billable hour, it just takes everybody working on your account down to the lowest innovation possible, commoditizes the, 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 the work rather than, um, you know, it, it, sorry, it doesn't commoditize the work. It sh- we, we should want the work to be commoditized if it's appropriate to be commoditized. And we want to keep the work that's high value, high value. When we use a blended rate or a billable rate card, it just serves to commoditize everything. Um, and I also say that a, a blended rate based on a scope of work, the second that you've finished drafting that scope of work, it's no longer relevant. It's not even relevant to the team. It's not relevant to the client. Things change quickly. Uh, and so the second that you've got figured out that blended rate, it's no good. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It does, the billable hour does commoditize the relationship. That's what's so pernicious. It's one of the things that's most pernicious about it is it just turns us everything into commodities, like you said. But, Lee, unfortunately, we're, I'm up against my last break with you, and uh, Ed's going to take you home. But I, I just want to say thank you so much for appearing on the Soul of Enterprise. It's been a great discussion. And we're going to link to where folks can get a copy of this report, and that's at uh, the ICA.ca slash QBS. And if you're at all involved in RFP procurement, uh, you need to take a look at this. There's some really fantastic ideas that, by the way, apply to all professions, not just agencies. Uh, I can see uh, accounting firms and law firms 
uh, learning some useful things out of this. So thank you for all of that. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Go out to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE and give us a rating or do so on Apple Podcasts. And it, we will read it on the air, good, bad, or ugly. And now we want to hear from our sponsors uh, and Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We're talking with Leah Power. And Leah, as you and Ron were talking and and as you got to toward the end of the, the last segment, I thought that this thought came to to my mind. We could we could take your this report and cut and paste it and use it for to buy accounting software, um, because that's exactly and it's almost worse because in in the mid market space that that many Sage partners work in, they're not dealing with procurement. It's worse. They're dealing with finance directly. <laughs> That hurts. That, I know. That, that hurts. <laughs> I know, but it's 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 true. Um, what I did want to to ask you this though, and in and, and there's a, a whole section that you have on creating your your QBS RFQ document, which is great, and I don't we don't have time to go through through each of them. Um, one I wanted to ask if you could just explain. You say that price compliance is mandatory but not evaluated. Talk a little bit about that. So it really just is saying that you are going to, um, you know, you're going to have a certain structure that you want to do the price negotiation within. You're maybe going to provide your budget within that as a client, that there are going to be certain things that the agency is going to be evaluated on. And you just make that clear within, within your documentation, what that's going to be. Um, and again, Price is part of QBS. It's just left to the end. 
And number seven in this list is never request a, a free consulting and a proposal. Uh, you talked a little bit about that with Ron, but when I read this section, I was immediately reminded of the the, the great scene that Ron and I have played at many presentations with Don, Don Draper and and Conrad Hilton uh, in, in from Mad Men, where he he he's basically asking for one for free. And and Connie and I'm sorry, Don Draper has that great line, which I've encouraged others to use. Connie, it's my profession. What do you expect me to do? And I, I really love that. And I really wish that f- far more professionals would have it's really the self-esteem to be able to say that and stick to their guns about it. They think they have to give away something for free to in order to prove their their worth. And I think if you withhold it is what's actually proving your worth, which is what the great Don Draper does. Absolutely. And I think in a lot of respects, because procurement is actually quite new to professional services, right? When we think about procurement, they really cut their their chops on that direct, those direct commodity products. And those industries evolved with procurement. We did not. Um, and so we have to think about how we were used to being sourced. And that was with the prime decision maker. If you were an accountant, you were going to be hired by the CFO if you or the CEO of a firm. If you're a management consultant, again, you're going to be hired by the CEO. Once procurement started entering that sourcing relationship, they, they really um, mandated so many things that uh, took power away from both the decision maker, but also the agency. You have to think as well that professional services providers, they're not used to having to, well, number one, they don't speak procurement language. Um, And that's, in my opinion, very similar to finance language. So finance people and procurement people actually have a lot in common. Um, And working in an agency with a lot of creatives, I know what that was like. I had to learn to speak creative and I had to translate for them on, on the finance stuff. So there was already that disconnect there. So there were you know, you're you're trying to have a conversation or negotiate with a group of people where you're already on the back foot as an industry. You haven't evolved with this with this uh, industry, and they're asking you to do things that you're just not used to doing. I think one of the things that's really interesting, just in negotiations with procurement, is price challenges. Um, and you think every single price challenge is real. Listen, there's. Agencies are used to dealing with marketers. When we're asked to do something, we're going to take that at its face value. We're going to do, you know, what we think we need to do. We're going to we're going to take that challenge and we're going to run with it. When now all of a sudden we're supposed to deal with procurement, again, you take those challenges. So what procurement might think is a game, agencies and other types of professionals don't understand that game. Uh, and are not used to playing that game. So, um, so really trying to get us to both, again, they're not the devil, there's no bad intent there, but just trying to teach procurement how to speak agency and professional services and hoping that agencies will pick up the guide and also learn how to speak a little bit of procurement and, and not be, again, not be afraid, not be on the back foot, um, and uh, be able to come up with some type of collaboration and, uh, and partnership at the end of it. And we've got about four minutes left, and, and uh, you and Ron were talking during the break about uh, 
the possibility of, of, of bringing subscription-based pricing into the mix here. And you said that you're a big fan. Um, I want to hear more about that because I, what, what, do you think that that would be another potential either solution to this problem or tool in the, in the belt of agencies to be able to use subscription pricing for some of this stuff? Listen, I, I am a huge proponent of value-based pricing, and within that, subscription is a fabulous way uh, to, um, to keep that connection with your, with your client over time. It, it's a really easy way to show value, um, and it's a really great way to provide consistent services. And I, I think for an agency, listen, we, we've gone from commissions to retainers to now it's project work. It's a very volatile environment. It's very difficult from a finance perspective to budget that. Um, it's very difficult. Um, and so I do hope that agencies, and, and I hope that clients, really that has to be driven by clients, um, that they're, that they understand the benefits of subscriptions and start to open up their minds to where the benefits can be for them. Um, again, from a cash flow perspective, from a consistency perspective, um, I, I, I think it's, it's really fabulous. Have I seen a lot of agencies use subscriptions? I have not at this point seen a ton of them starting to use them. But again, they're interested in it. They want to find a way to do it. Uh, and I think a lot of them really see that as being something um, that we're going to see more in the future. Yeah, it's, it's, it's similar in a way to, to the space that I'm in with, with ERP in that they, what, what most buyers think they're buying is a transaction. They're buying the implementation of a new system or they're buying some creative work from an agency. But the the good the good ones know that long term it's more you're buying a relationship not just the 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 initial thing that the quote RFP was sent out for to begin with exactly and i think that's such a good point it's that relationship and you want that agency to be there uh, during those times of crisis or during those times of deep transformation uh with your consumer base, um, you know, with the economy, with the political environment, you want them to be there uh, at the ready. Subscription's a great way to make sure that that uh, is, is the case. Well, outstanding. Leah Power is the editor of the QBS Agency Search Guide. We're so ha- happy to have, have had you on the Soul of Enterprise, Leah. We hope you come back another time. Thank you. It's been great to be here. And Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we have Patrick Reasonover, who made the documentary, They Say It Can't Be Done, which is just fantastic. All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE transforming the way people can work so the organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full show notes with our interview with Leah Power today. And also you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.